The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Thank you for that. All right. We've been studying for several months now on, on the attributes of God. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you any earth-shattering things today. I'm not, I'm not really going to talk about anything that we don't already know about God. But in our busy, hectic lives, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to forget some things. And um, uh, sometimes we get so, so consumed with other things that we... We, we, we fail to always live our life with an awareness of God's presence. So it's some good things for us to consider and remember as we go through our daily, day-to-day life. And uh, you should all, we should always often stop and take time throughout the day. Just stop and think about who you are, uh, what you are, and why you're here. And those things help us to stay focused to keep our mind and heart focused on, on God and his many attributes and his expectations for us. So it's just a good habit to have to, to uh, don't get so busy that you forget about God. Uh, and that is very easy to do. But today we're going to start, I'm not going to review all of the previous eight attributes of God that we've, we've shared with you. But today we're going to start with number nine, and that is that God is immutable. God is immutable. And to be immutable means to be unable to change. Uh, so God, we could say, does not change. And we know this is true from Scripture. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, we read, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, in a, in a sentence, this states that God never differs from his divine character. God never does anything out of character. His, his uh, laws, his commands are, 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 are sure, and they never change. This is a, a vital attribute of God. Without such, he could not be God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, the writer of Hebrews states, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and it's fortunate for you and, and me that God doesn't change. Can you imagine what it would be like to try to live your life and, and to stay right with God if God's opinions, if God's laws, if God's principles changed? It'd be really hard. You'd have to have, we'd have to have an annual version of the Bible. 
an annual rewrite, an upgrade. Uh, you, you, you could have a Bible app that had an upgrade once a year. And, and yes, uh, the 2020 version will be coming out soon. Because God, God made some changes and he changed his mind on some things. And no, that doesn't happen. James in, in James chapter 1 and verse 17 states, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So we know that God never changes. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, the Hebrew, the, the author of Acts writes, Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Oh yes, we wait. We all sit here this morning and wait for the return of the Lord. We wait for the coming of Christ, the, the second coming of Christ. But when he comes back, he's going to be the same Christ. He, wasn't, he, won't, he won't have changed at all. His opinions, his, his expectations... All stay the same. As I stated earlier in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, we read Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. I know how to obey and please God today. I know when I'm not obeying. And I know what does not please God. And my grandchildren will know. And if the Lord tarries, their children will know. And their grandchildren will know. Why? Because God never, he never changes. Now man changes. Man develops new opinions. And men stand in pulpits and and preach falsely to, to other men. Leading them to believe that God doesn't feel a certain way about certain things. But God never changes. And his word is, is fixed forever, O Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. Men rewrite the Bible. We change it. Men change the Bible so it will read what they want it to read. But God never changes because he is the same yesterday today and forever aren't you aren't you thankful for that but but yet I've known Christians who wake up one day and begin to change everything they do they begin to believe differently and 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 often I question them well why what 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 has changed God hasn't changed His word hasn't changed. You've changed. And and I'm going to tell you, you can use this for your your own admonition. It's always a who. It's always a who that changes us. It's not a what. It's a who. What did Paul write in the scripture? You did believe in God. Who 
hath changed you. It's not a, it's not a what, it's always a who. That's why it's so, careful, it's so important we be careful who we allow to teach us the word of God. That's very important. And listen, I'm not standing up here this morning claiming to be a great teacher of the Bible. As a matter of fact, I've asked myself uh, over the last 39 years, I've asked myself often, Lord, who am I? Why, have you, why do you use me for this? I'm, uh, I feel like Paul. I'm probably the chiefest of sinners. But you, you need to find a teacher of Scripture that teaches Scripture. Doesn't teach opinion, but teaches truth and fact. That's what, that's what we need. So we've got to be careful because it's, it's a who that's going to hinder you. And God doesn't change. So if a preacher changes his preaching, something's wrong. Either he wasn't preaching the truth before, or he isn't preaching the truth now. And we better find out which, amen? So, God is immutable. Number, uh, characteristic number 10 is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And that means that he, his authority is supreme, or that he possesses ultimate power. God is sovereign. Now, you might think that that is a simple thing, but I can tell you that in the vast majority of pulpits in America, you're not going to hear that. They're not going to talk about the sovereignty of God because they don't believe in the sovereignty of God or they don't accept the sovereignty of God. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, we read, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God is sovereign. Ezekiel chapter 24 and verse 14, we read, I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass, and I will do it. I will not go back, neither will I spare, neither will I repent. According to thy ways and according to thy doings shall they judge thee, saith the Lord God. So God is, God is sovereign. His, his word is sovereign. It's supreme. It's above all other words. His power is ultimate. It's above any other power known by man. The fact that God is sovereign implies that God is the absolute and sole ruler in the universe. To be truly sovereign demands that one has the total freedom, the total power, knowledge, wisdom, and determination to carry out a predetermined course of action. None of us have that, right? No other force on earth has that. Scientists keep coming up with new theories all the time about the existence of the universe. About, what was it, about 60, 70 years ago, they started talking about the Big Bang? Now, scientists are denying the Big Bang. 
I, I heard recently, now they think that there are many universes, each contained within a bubble. It's the bubble theory. So if you get your, your kids a bubble machine, I bought one for my grandkids a couple of years ago, you might, you might just be creating a bunch of universes there. It's, 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 it's so ludicrous. God created all things. He created all things from nothing. He spoke and all things existed. I've said it many times. I believe in a big bang. I believe that God spoke and bang, everything was there. God possesses all things in infinite measure and is thus sovereign. Now, two arguments usually surface during any discussion of the sovereignty of God. First is this. If, there is, if God is sovereign, how do we explain the presence of sin and evil? So if God is, is sovereign, if his power is supreme, and he's above all things, then where did sin and evil come from? If, if God cannot tempt man and does not tempt man, then where did it all come from? Well, let me quote a, a, a theologian to, for you, Dr. A.W. Tozier. He writes, the Zend Avesta, which is a false teaching, got around this difficulty by postulating a theological dualism. There were two gods, according to these people, Osmod and Ahiram. And these between them created the world. The good God, Osmod, made all things good. And the evil, Ahiram, made the rest. It was quite simple. Osmod had no sovereignty to worry about and apparently did not mind sharing his prerogatives with another. Now this is, of course, is of course ludicrous. It's totally unscriptural and completely absurd. But this is the depth that supposed religious men will go to to deny the sovereignty of God, to try to get around it and explain things. So how do we answer this question? Well, to attempt to infer God's actions would assume upon God's omniscience and his omnipotence. It would be foolish to attempt to claim to have more understanding, to be more just and equitable, and to usurp the authority of God over his own creation. The only possible argument is that the sovereign God has allowed for, but not arranged for, sin in the universe. That thought, that, that through it he might receive the most glory. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 we read, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We saw an example of this in the story of Job. I think I preached about this just recently. Where Satan came uh, to, to God and, and, and wanted to tempt Job. And God allowed him to do so. He limited him, but he allowed him to do so. Now, it wasn't God that, that created the evil that came upon Job. God did permit it. He did allow it. 
so that through it he might prove to, to Satan how powerful and how in control he truly is. The glory went to God. That by it the, the elect might receive the most good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So the, the second question that generally comes up when discussing the sovereignty of God is this. If God is sovereign, how do we reconcile the responsibility and freedom of man? In other words, man's free will. That comes into argument anytime you talk about God, so, about God's sovereignty. Well, again, Dr. Tozier writes this. He states, here is my view. God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice. Okay, remember that, moral choice. And man, from the beginning, has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it, inasmuch as the external as, the, as much as the eternal decree decided not which choice man should make, but that he should be free to make it. But again, we're talking about man's free will to choose to do good or to choose to do evil. Now we know that man has a, has a, a preponderance to choose evil. The heart and the flesh of man is evil. Given a choice, man will opt for the evil. And were it not for the sovereign grace of God, you and I would not be able to choose to do good. I heard one amen. Is that all I get? We couldn't help but do wrong. I, 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 I was that way before I got saved. I wanted to do, I wanted to do right. When I was in the military, I... I got a Bible and I started reading. I wanted to do good. I wanted, I wanted to do the right things. But no matter how hard I tried, I failed. Oh, I might have, I might be, I might have been able to do good for a short time, maybe for a month or maybe for a week. But then I went right back to my old sinful nature. I, I tried and tried and tried, but I failed. I failed. But when I, when, when I got saved, when, when the Lord regenerated me and saved my soul, now I have the power to say no. And by the way, we all have that power if we're saved. When a, when a, when a wrong choice comes before us, we have the power to say no. If we sin, it's because we choose to sin. Amen? 
Yeah, so next time we do something wrong, I hear people all the time, well, God's punishing me. No, he isn't. Stop saying that. God doesn't punish his righteous children. He chastises us, but he doesn't punish us. Listen, his own laws punish us. We have the, we have the, we have the, I have the authority. I can say no. Now, that doesn't mean the temptation is going to stop. It's going to stay there. I just got to keep saying no. That's all. In simple English, God has given man the choice of good or evil, but not the choice over salvation. That choice is reserved unto God himself. And it will be given as the Lord has willed. Therefore, the free will of man is not to choose between heaven or hell. Rather, it is to choose between good or evil. And the exercising of that choice, in fact, proves the sovereignty of God in that God has willed that man would make such a choice. It is God's creation, and it is his to do as it pleases him. In Psalm 135 and verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all deep places. In Isaiah chapter 49, verses 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I love that. God knows the the end from the beginning. God knows you, and he knows me. He, he, He knew in eternity past the moment I would be born. He knew in eternity past the moment I would die. He knew in eternity past, and he chose, and he willed me to be saved. And I have been, I have been preordained to be transformed into the image of Christ. These things we know. And they shall take place because God is sovereign. And his will shall be done. None of us in this room have the ability to change or hinder the will of God. Stop and think about that for a moment. You don't have the ability to change God's will. You don't have the ability to hinder God's will. God's will shall be done. If necessary, like a tank rolling over you, but it's going to be done. So God is sovereign. And then, number 11 on your sheets, and this is is one that really needs to be grasped, and that is God is incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. And that means he's unable to be understood. Does anyone here understand, fully understand God? If you do, raise your hand. Any of you? You'd say, I understand God. Now we, under, we might understand, we might grasp parts of, of, of who and what God is. But in his totality, God is incomprehensible. We try to affix objects to him. We try to bring him into a 
a confined space that we can look at and say, okay, that's God. But God, it's totally incomprehensible. Job stated in Job 37.5, God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, which we cannot comprehend. By this it is stated that no one except God himself can even remotely understand and comprehend God. Again, Job writes in Job chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Yet man is born unto trouble, as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things, without number. God is unsearchable, Job says. And and again, Job in chapter 11, verses 7 through 9 states, Canst thou, by searching, find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as as high as heaven, which cannot... Thou, what cannot thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. In Psalm 36, verses 5 and 6, David writes, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgment are a great deep, O Lord, Thou preservest man and beast. And David here, uh, by use of these, uh, of these metaphors, tries to show the, the vastness and the, and, and the depth of God's knowledge and wisdom. Romans 11, verse 33, we read, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways past finding out. I think probably every everyone at everyone where I work knows that, that I'm a Christian. They know I'm a believer. Many of them know that I that I teach Bible. There's one dear lady even calls me pastor. <laughs> she tells me, You're the pastor of Villa Marin. And probably the question that I'm asked more than any other question are the, the, what people want to know the most is they want to know who is God? What is God? How can I know God? How, they want to know all these things. And, and certainly there's a lot of things I can tell them. I have to be careful because of, of labor laws. But there's certainly a lot, of, a lot of things I can give them to read or I can point them in a certain direction and try to help them out. But I often tell them this. God is nothing that you could even imagine. He's, he's larger than any th- thought you've ever had. There is no limit to God. That's, that's mind-boggling to me. I, I've said it before when we were going through the, these series. I, I can't, I can't grasp, my mind can't grasp that. I can't, I look up and, when I was a boy, I used to lay in my, in my dad's backyard, we had a big field of clover, and I'd lay in that cool clover on a hot day, and I'd lay there and I'd just look up, and I'd look and I'd, I'd, I'd think to myself, there is no end to what I'm looking at. 
no matter how far I can imagine I'm seeing, I haven't reached the end. It goes beyond that. We, we can't comprehend the fact that God never had a beginning. We can accept it. We can believe it and accept it, but we, we can't understand it. Because everything we see, everything we touch, everything we know had a beginning. But not God. As far back as you could imagine, God was already there for eternity. As th- those things are incomprehensible to the human mind. Listen, the fact that God is incomprehensible should humble us. It should humble you when you think about God. It should cause you to say, oh, how how insignificant am I? And, and, And it should not only humble you, but it should it should inspire you. It should inspire you to honor God, to revere Him, to do whatever it takes in your life to glorify and honor Him. I mean, that's... Paul said we should present ourselves to God a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. But we live in a world that's all wrapped up with self. I saw this commercial on on television yesterday. I told my wife, I said, my goodness, it's the commercial, the the wife comes in and tells the husband, look, I bought us each one. She's got two watches. One for you, one for me. And he says, I love it. And he says, I bought us each something too. And he goes outside and there's two GMCs in the driveway. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, well, how would you like it if I came home with two GMCs? And that'd be something. But why do I say that? I say that because this is the focus of most people's lives. The focus of most people's lives is love for money. And they invest their entire life in those things. So much so that they forget to humble themselves before God. And they fail to acknowledge his greatness. And they fail to live their life in such a way that he is honored and glorified. And by the way, I'm preaching to myself right now. I'm not, I'm not standing here trying to make you believe that I've arrived at this. See, this is a humbling thing about, about teaching and preaching. Most of the time when I'm teaching you, I'm just teaching you what I taught myself throughout the week studying this. Because I'm just a dying man preaching to dying men. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, preaching the word of God to sinners saved by grace. And God is incomprehensible, folks. I look at it as, as, this way. If there are any mathematicians here, consider it this. How immeasurable is the, 
is the knowledge of God. Well, if we begin our inhabitation of heaven with X knowledge of God, okay, X being an algebraic term, think about this for a moment. We're going to talk exponentially. At the start of year two, we would now have 2X knowledge of God. In other words, two times the knowledge of God. By year three, four times the knowledge of God. By year four, eight times the knowledge of God. By year 21, 1,048,576 times the knowledge of God. And by year 31, uh, let's see, I gotta look back up here in a million. One billion, seventy-three million, seven hundred forty-one thousand, eight hundred twenty-four times the knowledge of God. And that will still only be the beginning of our understanding of God. Throughout the untold and unnumbered trillions and trillions of years and timeless eternity, each child of God can never reach an end of increasing his knowledge of God. And that's how incomprehensible God is. I mean, that that should humble us, as I said. That should inspire us to live a life to his glory and to his honor. Certainly you nor I could ever, we, we could never bring true glory to God. But what we do in our life should glorify him. In, in, in every way, everything we say, everything we do should glorify the Father. So stop. Stop and think. Before we act, before we speak, you know that there's no reason you have to immediately give an answer when someone asks you something. Just stop for a second and think. What, sh- what will glorify God in this, in this instant of my life? All right, folks, it's uh, 10 till. Time for me to stop. And uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.